God is so good to us. I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, when you get to go get there, go to verse 15. If you're using that pew Bible right there in front of you, it's on page 1,226. John chapter 5, pick it up in verse 15. I'll be there in just a minute. It's on page 1,226 in your pew Bible. Choir did a good job. Amen? Amen. They did. And it's always an addition to our service. That's always welcome, and I'm glad. I'm giving you a chance to turn. I'm giving everybody else a chance to settle. And then we'll all walk in this together. In... uh, 1985, one of the best Oscar-winning speeches was given. Now, you know in the Oscar-winning speeches, they get up there and get a chance to say something. They don't get long to say something, and if they start saying something too long, the music comes on, and you know how you've seen that go before. But in 1985, one of the more classic winning speeches was given by Sally Field. She had just won the Oscar for Best Actress for a movie called Places in the Heart. And this is a quote that she made in her acceptance speech. She said, I haven't had an orthodox career, and I've wanted more than anything to have your respect. I can't deny the fact that you like me. Right now, you like me. It was important to her. She stated in that speech to be liked. It validated her. It propelled her, and it gave her new energy from that moment forward in her career. It made me think, have you ever had someone do something for you? I mean, just for you? That made you feel special or important? I encourage you to take some time to think about that as we move ahead, or maybe later today or this week, those efforts made by others on our behalf typically bring great encouragement. I want to stop and, and thank you. It's, it's, there's not a day that goes by since I've begun this personal journey that uh, I've not received a card or a text or an email or an encouragement from the church. Sometimes those encouragements come in the form of cookies. Sometimes those encouragements come in the form of meals, texts. Those sometimes come as, they, as I'm building my Cancer 2022 Spotify playlist. You guys are sending me songs and I'm adding them to the playlist. But every time that happens, it just makes me know that you like me. You really like me as Sally Field would say. It is encouraging. So thank you. Thank you for taking the time to share with me, walk with me. I had a small thing happen to me this week, a little bit like that. As you know, I like to frequent a certain coffee place. I'm actually in there all the time. And months ago, I noticed a new sweatshirt that they were wearing. It was a really cool sweatshirt that they were wearing. 
And I commented to one specific person who was there, probably others heard it, that I really liked that sweatshirt a lot. Months passed. And earlier this week, that person that I spoke to or spoke at just months ago, she came over to me, she handed me my coffee, and she said, I know a secret. And I'm going, cool, what's your secret? <laughs> she said, uh, you said size large, right? You, want the, you wanted a sweatshirt, I've ordered you a sweatshirt. She said, I'm not sure when it will arrive. And I said, thank you. That is so nice of you to think about me, to just pick up on a casual statement and to think about me. And as I was leaving, it hit me. You like me. You really like me. That's an important. See this trend that's going on here? This morning, I walked in to get my coffee. She said, hang on just a second. And she brought it out and handed me that sweatshirt as a validation that this was all happening just this week. It's really cool. And uh, I've got it, and here's what I'll do. If you want to know what it looks like, come to the chili cook-off tonight, okay? <laughs> I will wear it tonight. I will wear it. Angela, you might want to iron it, okay? <laughs> but uh, I will wear it tonight so you can come and check that out. Now, you know... I can't wait to put that on for you. It's a really good feeling to know that someone takes an action specifically on your behalf. You guys know what I'm feeling, right? Yeah. All right, let's stand together and read from God's Word from John chapter 5. I'm picking up in verse 15. John chapter 5, I'm going to read through verse 23. John chapter 5, picking up at verse 15, it says, The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel." For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your Scripture open. I picked up in verse 15, as you recall from last week, and if you're going, I didn't hear last week's message. Well, that's cool. You can go on Facebook or YouTube or the church website, and you can catch up on that and add and keep coming to that. The services are always uh, available. But as we discussed last week when we cover verses 1 to 15, as an act of Jesus' grace, recall he found a particular man twice in those verses, 
And each time he did something for that man that that man never could have done for himself. And if you recognize, that man never asked for it either. Did you catch that last week? Jesus found him, asked him, challenged him as an act of his grace. And in verse 15, after this man left him, remember, he didn't even know who Jesus was. They said, who healed you? And he said, I don't know. And he couldn't even point him out in the crowd because Jesus had wandered away. But Jesus came back in the temple a second time and told him not to sin anymore, that he had been forgiven. Do not sin anymore. And he went, verse 15 says, and he told the Jews, those that do not know Jesus, nor follow him, nor believe in him, who made him well. And these Jews, verse 16, began to, Scripture says, persecute Jesus at a higher level. It says that they sought to kill him. Well, why? What has Jesus done that was so bad up to this point? Verse 16 tells us, it says, they sought to kill him because he had done these things, this healing of this man, and other things in his ministry up to this point. He had done them on the Sabbath. Healing, forgiving, teaching, loving. Jesus was guilty of these things on the Sabbath. Verse 17, it says that Jesus speaks, then speaks to them. And he says this, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Note, God the Father has been working. Well, I stopped just a second to talk about that word working for just a second. Working, it's an activity on purpose, intentionally desiring to bring something about. That's what work is. Work is an intentional thing that we do to bring about a desired purpose. That's work. And Scripture says that God the Father has been working, that intentional purposely bringing things about until now, up to and including that very moment that Jesus was speaking to these Jews. There's never been a time, and church, there never will be a time when God is not working not acting intentionally and purposefully for you, for your good. Every action by God is designed to bring about His purpose for me and His purpose for you. Now, this statement only gets Jesus into more trouble with the Jews. See, the people had already been persecuting Him. We know this. But recall in verse 17 that Jesus calls God the Father. Jesus is intentionally teaching them about his relationship to God. Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God. We see this clearly in his statement. You know, and there are some people out there that say that I don't believe in Jesus because Jesus never really claimed to be the Son of God. That's not true. Scripture teaches that Jesus made multiple claims about being the Son of God, and this would be one of them. And they heard it. And they agreed to it because it made them mad. You see, Jesus claiming to be the Son of God increased his persecution. Look at verse 18. It says, therefore, that would mean because of that, they sought to kill him all the more. So what's he guilty of? Well, he's breaking the Sabbath and claiming to be equal with God. Just a clarification point. 
the Jews are those that are seeking to do this to Jesus. These Jews are holding on to the law, on to their religion, and on to their own self-worth. These Jews do not believe in Jesus. That's an important thing we need to understand, that Jesus is speaking to people who do not know who he is, believe who he is, or have faith in who he is. Verse 19 says, Jesus answered and said. Did you see that? But one of the things that you're missing here as you go into verse 19, it says that Jesus answered and said, we're not given their questions. Did you notice that? There's obviously a conversation that has occurred that the Lord has not desired for us to get the full context of, or perhaps Jesus, as he had done in Scripture before and after this, is answering their thoughts. You know, Jesus, remember when they lowered the man down from the roof to be healed by Jesus? And Jesus spoke to the Jews that were there, the scribes and the Pharisees, those who were against him, and said, why are you thinking? Church, just a reminder. You don't have to say it for God to know it. God knows everything about you. He knows your words, Scripture says, Psalm 139, before you say it. He knows your thoughts. And so Jesus is responding to them in verse 19. He could be answering their direct questions that Scripture does not tell us what those direct questions are, or he could respond, be responding to their thoughts and the intentions of their hearts. I have to assume that their questions, whether in their hearts or made out loud, probably sounded a bit like this. Who do you think you are? You know, we all have to face that question about Jesus. Jesus even asked the disciples later in his ministry, who do you say I am? Which is another way of saying, who do you think I are? Right? We get this. For those of you first-time visitors, yes, I am troubled with the English language from time to time. But they were saying to Jesus, who do you think you are? Church, I think it's very important to understand that while the Jews and us many times, we like to maintain our own thoughts and have our own private feelings, that Jesus always knows, we've, we've studied that, but then he always publicly answers. People always know where Jesus stands. Jesus never wants you to be uncertain about how he feels about you. Jesus never wants you to be uncertain about who he is, what he stands for, why he came, why he does what he does. Church, he is always absolutely transparent in all that he ever does. Let me ask you this question about transparency. Do people always know who you are? Your faith? who you serve, do they know that you're a child of God, that you believe? It's an interesting thing. Verse 19 says that Jesus said, and this is where the mind of Jeff kicked in right here. It's a terrible thing sometimes to be trapped in this mind of mine. But I read this, Jesus said, 
And my mind immediately left to a commercial from the late 70s, I believe, by anybody ever heard of E.F. Hutton? If you're of a certain age and above, you go, yeah, I know who E.F. Hopefully you recall, but this is an investment banking man over 40 years ago whose famous slogan for his company says, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. Church, can I just remind you that when Jesus speaks, we should listen. We should listen to everything that he says intently. Because if we're not careful and we don't listen intently and carefully, we'll miss something that Jesus said just for you. Jesus is about to unleash some great insight on God the Father and on God the Son himself, their relationship and how that is to be understood by us and how it's to impact our lives. Verse 19, let me just rip some of these things that Jesus said very strongly here. Verse 19, he says that the Son can only do what he sees the Father do. That's Jesus, the Son of God, talking about the God the Father and saying, I can only do what I see my Father do. It harkens back to the Father has always been working and I have been working. It's important to understand that the Son can only do what He sees the Father do. Verse 19 also says that the Son can do nothing of Himself. Recall John 4, 34 from a couple of weeks ago. Jesus was sitting at the well after having spoken to the woman at the well, and the disciples came up, and they said, Jesus, you need something to eat. And He says, no, I'm good. And He said, well, where did He get this food? And He said in John chapter 4, 34, He says, my food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. I love it when... Later scripture informs prior scripture to a deeper meaning, and we can go back and read that with a greater intent. So I went back and read John chapter 4, and I realized that Jesus wasn't just acting independently on his own thoughts. He was following the guidance of the Father, the power of the Father, the will of the Father, which was to be about God's will, sharing who he was to other people. Verse 19 also says that the Son does whatever the Father does. God does it. Jesus can't do it unless God does it. And that Jesus does whatever God does. You know, there's not much room. It doesn't say that Jesus has a laundry list of things that the Father does that he can choose from. No, it's like Jesus says, whatever the Father does, which is another way of saying everything the Father does, that's what I'm doing. You know, it's an interesting thing as a Christian. We sometimes like to pick and choose. We grade ourselves. Actually, we actually grade others and then compare ourselves. And we are comparing to, well, I'm better than they are. You know, we like to, we like to hope and pray that God is grading on the curve. You guys know the curve, right? I used to pray for the curve in high school and in college, that the Lord would somehow round everybody up because somebody had to make the A and maybe I could get just swept up in that just a little bit. 
Can I tell you, God doesn't grade on the curve. God grades on the standard that is His will. And that we are expected to do everything the Father tells us to do. It's not a multiple choice test. It's not a pick five of the ten things and do them. We need to, as Jesus is saying, I do whatever the Father does. And do you know that Jesus came so that we could know Him, so that we could be most and more and more like Him, sanctification. We are then expected, church, let me go ahead and tell you, to do all the things that the Father tells us. Verse 20, the Father loves the Son and shows Him all the things He does. Verse 20, the Father will show Him, that's the Son, even greater things. In verse 21, Jesus provides us an example. If we're not careful to read it, we'll miss it. Look at verse 21. Let me reread it again. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. Let me just give you an example right here. I think of Lazarus. That's in John 11. So I can't tell you that it's chronologically perfect, but I can tell you that biblically the way it's in order we're in John 5, so John 11 is likely something that's going to still happen. And Jesus is saying that the Father gives life, so I give life to whom I will. And you know the story about John chapter 11, think of Lazarus, and Jesus comes on the fourth day, and he says to Mary and to Martha in different conversations, when they said, it's your fault he died. You're going, they didn't blame Jesus. Yeah, they did. They said, if you'd been here... This wouldn't have happened. And Jesus said, for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't here so that I could show you that I can give life, that I have victory over life. Now, Jesus could be saying this to those Jews that are persecuting him, to these non-believers. He said, hold it. If you're mad at me now, if you're mad at me because I've healed a guy on the Sabbath, if you're mad at me because I have claimed God the Father to be my Father, you just wait to what I'm getting ready to do. You see what's getting ready to happen? Jesus says, boys, you better buckle up. It's going to be a tough road for you between now and then. Because I'm going to start raising people. I'm going to start healing people. I'm going to start forgiving people. Because that's what my father does. And I'm bound to do it because I'm his son. He says, boys, it's going to be a rough ride for you. At least that's how the mind of Jeff reads this. Be careful. Make sure that you have a mind about what Scripture is trying to teach you to do. He says, what the Father's going to have me do in the days ahead is really going to frustrate you, going to bring victory. But I want to go back and look, because Jesus just made some really strong statements about his relationship with the Father and his responsibility to the Father because of those relationships and how that then transfers to us. That's what we've stated right here. But I want to go back and look at something that if we miss it, we'll miss everything from this passage, I believe. Look at verse 20. Let me reread verse 20. 
For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Now, there's a transition right there that we've got to watch very closely. Jesus is saying, the things I see the Father do, the things I have done and will do, the things that will be greater than the things before, they all come with a specific purpose. You see what it says right there at the end? That you may marvel. But catch this. we got to rewind this just a little bit. Jesus is talking to the Jews, the people persecuting him the people who don't believe in him, the people that want to kill him, Jesus is speaking to them and saying, all of these things that I've just shared with you, they're so you will marvel. Speaking to unbelievers so that you will marvel. You have to notice that these are not believers. He's speaking to a specific group of people. The very ones who do not yet believe, the ones opposed to Jesus, the ones clinging to the law and the religions, the ones who are seeking their own self-worth, the, you, that you, those people who do not yet believe, those are the ones that God says all of these things are so you will marvel. Marvel, I looked it up is defined to be filled with wonder and astonishment, intense surprise and interest. Jesus is saying, all I have done and all I will do, I do to help you marvel, to come to faith, to believe. Everything. Now, if you're a note taker, write this passage down. I'm going to read it to you, and we'll talk about it for just a second. But Matthew chapter 11, verse 27. Matthew eleven twenty-seven says this. This is Jesus speaking again. All things, that ha- all things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Church, that is a key verse, one that you should understand and one that you should seek to memorize. Jesus said it. I'll paraphrase it. All is delivered to me, and only I know him. You can know him by getting to know me, and when you get to know me, I will introduce and show you to the Father. Isn't that the whole gospel wrapped up in a nutshell? You know, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus just said the same thing right here. He said, you get to know me. I will reveal the Father to you. Jesus says, Jesus lives and acts intentionally in everything in hopes of revealing the Father to us so that all can come to believe. Jesus is saying, I'm doing all of this, whatever this is for you. I'm doing all of this for you 
Have you ever talked with someone and then they started belaboring a point? You know what that means, right? They just keep making it and keep making it and keep making it. Well, I went back and I listened to the last six, eight months, five, six years. I don't belabor a lot, but I'm getting ready to belabor. If you're a note taker, you might want to make some belaboring notes here for just a second because I want to show you something in Scripture that only belaboring a point can bring home. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, it's, this is the story of Jesus calming the storm. And if you remember that, and you can go back and read it, it said that those, when he quieted the storm, they said, they marveled, Scripture says, at what manner of man this is. You know that story, right? If not, Matthew 8, 27, you can go look it up. Jesus says, I did that for you. Matthew chapter 9, verse 8, Jesus heals a paralytic. And Scripture teaches us right then that the people marveled and glorified God. Jesus said, by his actions, not a quote in Scripture, I did that for you. Matthew chapter 9, 33, Jesus heals the mute man possessed with the demon. It says that the multitudes marveled. Jesus said, yeah. I did that for you. Church, you starting to see a trend here? Matthew chapter 21, verse 20. Jesus cursed a fig tree, and on the way back around, the disciples marveled at how fast the wig tr the wig tree, the fig tree, had withered. You see where the W came from, right? It was coming. <laughs> had withered. And Jesus, we can now trust, says, I did that. For you. Matthew chapter 22, verse 22. Jesus teaches them on taxes. Give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Give unto the Lord that which is the Lord's. And Jesus says that teaching, because it says that they marveled at his teaching. Jesus said, yeah, I did that for you. Matthew chapter 27, verse 14. Jesus on trial before Pilate answered not a word, kept silent, and they, including Pilate, marveled at his silence. And Jesus said, yeah, I did that for you. Mark chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus cast the demon from the man and the demons went into the pigs, and it said that all the men marveled. And Jesus said, yeah, I did that for you. John 4, 27, coming right back to where we are. The woman at the well. The disciples came, and they marveled that Jesus had taken the time to speak to that woman. And he said, yeah, I did that for you. Church, are you getting this? The Father has been working up until now, and I am working. Everything Jesus ever did was intentional, was on purpose. And it was done for the sole purpose of you marveling 
you coming to faith in Jesus, you coming to be made right with God, all on purpose. He likes you. He really likes you. You guys get the point, right? You see that? Let me read another one. John chapter 10, I'm going to read this one. John chapter 10, if you're taking this down, John 10, 17 and 18. Jesus said this, Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus said, laying down my life, raising it up again, I did it for you. I conquered life, I conquered sin, I conquered death. I did it for you. I shed my blood so that you can marvel and come to know faith in Christ and be made right with God. I did it for you on purpose. No earning, no deserving, no reason, just an overwhelming love that God has for you. Man. Why is this so important? Why are we to live lives helping people see Jesus? I'm going to take you someplace. Turn with me. You won't have to take a far journey, but 2 Thessalonians. If you're in the Pew Bible, you can go to page 1360. If you're not in the Pew Bible, go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 9 through 12 here in just a minute. Make sure you're in 2 Thessalonians. I've read it this week in 1 Thessalonians. It doesn't fit my point. I've read it in 1 Timothy. Again, it doesn't fit the point. Make sure you're in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. It's on page 1360 in the Pew Bible. Let me read this. These, that's a group of people. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. When He comes in that day to be glorified in His saints, and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always that you, for you, that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just... Summarize there, verse 10, when he comes, do you see that? He's coming again. Church, he's coming again. Jesus will come again. And he will come for you. All who come to faith in Jesus, he will come for. To be glorified in his saints, and in some translations, verse 10 says, to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled, some translations, or admired among all those who believe. Verse 10, because our testimony was believed. 
Don't miss this. Scripture says that your testimony is important. That if you will come to faith in Christ and then allow that life that Christ wants to give you, if you will do all the things that the Father tells you through the Son to do, then your testimony will be shared over and over again. And it will cause people to meet Jesus and they will believe. They're not going to believe you. All you're doing is pointing to Jesus. Now, I'm trying really hard, church, to not ever make this message about me. But as I've been reminded again this morning by a dear friend, but that's what God's doing in your life right now. I shared with you, Bobby, Connie, I hope you're still on. But I met Bobby. Where Bobby and I are getting cancer treatments. And the Lord has drawn us into a conversation about who he is and about who's responsible for this cancer. And early on in our conversation, Bobby and I were on different sides of the fence. You see, Bobby was challenged and was thinking that cancer is bad. It's got to be from the devil. And I shared with Bobby right there on my knees in the waiting room of Tennessee Oncology. And I shared with him that that's not how I feel. And church, I will tell you again and again and again that cancer is not something that happened to me. Jesus said, I did it for you. I did it for you. If you will live for me, I did this for you. Now you be faithful and you share. Bobby, I pray that God is speaking and encouraging you right now. But church, don't forget, I'm not just speaking to Bobby. God is doing this in my life to cause me to go through this journey so that I can report back to you that God is faithful, God is good in all things, that God is intentional, that God is purposeful, there is a reason for it all, and it is for my good. He said, I did it for you. So wherever you stand right now, whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, whether it's a spiritual crisis, a physical crisis, an emotional crisis, a relational crisis, Jesus is saying, turn to me. I can do all the work you need if you'll just turn to me. But church, that's a big leap for people to go right from, I'm stuck in this all the way to turning to Jesus. And this is where you are important. You're the link. You get to stand in between. That's how I read 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. You get to stand in between having a hand of Jesus 
and being used by your testimony to reach out, to grab a hold of someone who does not yet have that understanding of Jesus that God intends, and you get to bring them together. And then when they get together, I'm out. Because it's the work of God through his son that changes a life. But I will tell you what, this is fun work right here. Doing this and bringing people and telling people about God and grabbing a hold of God and grabbing a hold of somebody in the world and bringing them together. Church, it hurts your hands. But it is some of the most fulfilling activity I have ever experienced in my life. And I am not claiming anything but a yielded life to Christ. I've told you for weeks, God wants to do something big. Told you I'm waiting on you. He's already started doing something big in me. Best way to shut me up is to let him start doing something big in you, and then your story will be more important than my story. Because God wants to have a testimony of goodness out of all of our lives when we allow him to use us. Do you believe that, church? Do you believe that God can use wherever you are to help someone else come to know Jesus? If you believe that, then you will want to desire. We are to show people that God is always at work in all things specifically for them. And just to wrap it up where I began, you know, a cool way to start this, it captured me this week. Walk up to somebody and go, I know a secret. You know what they're going to say? What's that? Everything God has done, he's done for you. And then the conversation will just take off. Amen.